Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 65, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Movie Review. McBrien here, along with Yancey Eaton, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. And speaking of generations, I'm the Gen X guy, as you know, and my millennial co-host is Yancey Eaton. Yancey, what's new in the world of pop in your world, my friend? Uh, what's new? Honestly, not a whole lot. I made a New Year's resolution to read less articles and screw around less on Twitter and really focus on like getting books read. And uh, I'm already on my fifth novel of the year, which is a really good pace even for me who normally reads, you know, two, three hours a day. And I'm, this isn't like a humble brag, like, look at Yance, you know, but uh, it feels really good to kind of like say you want to do something and then actually start doing it. And, you know, I shed a little bit of weight. My eating habits are much better. So the, the new year is off to a swimming start, to be honest with you. How about you? Well, that's good. Well, you know, uh, you know how I feel about you know, uh, post-secondary education and furthering education and things like that. So reading is a wonderful thing. Will you take recommendations from me if I throw some novels at you that I think you should read? Especially classics. I have some classics that I'll throw at you. So I'll, I'll put together some and uh, we'll talk about that in a future show. For me, um, I mentioned last week, I think that I finished Breaking Bad. My wife and I finished it. So we were looking for a new show to watch. Mm-hmm. And all these people were telling me, oh man, you got to watch Suits. Suits is a great show. So we put it on. I watched one episode of it. And I hated it. And my wife was like, well, everyone likes it. It's got to be good. So we got to watch one more episode. So we watched the second episode. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's the thing. My argument is like, well, what do you mean we have to watch it? Because everyone else says it's good. We just watched an episode and it sucks. Like, yeah. you know, we can see with our own eyes. Well, everyone says it's good. So maybe it gets better. So we watched one, one thing I'll say about you, Chris, is you you definitely do not care if everybody says it's good. No. Uh, you you do not care at all. Yes. And, and vice versa. You don't care if everybody says it's bad either. So no, yeah, exactly. Appreciate you. If you like it, you like it. That's that's the thing. I take a lot of heat for it sometimes. So I don't think we're gonna do we're gonna watch that. So if anybody wants to go reach out to me on Twitter at C McBrien, I E N, tweet to me and tell me what series that my wife and I should start binge watching. I wanted I put it out there, I put a little informal on informal poll on Twitter, and I said, should we watch because my wife was mentioning the wire. And, you know, I've heard good things about it, too. It's not like Suits that, you know, she heard some people said it was good and it sucks. Uh, But, you know, The Wire is supposed to be really good. So I'd like to watch that. And she would, too. But so that was her nomination. She's like, let's watch The Wire. And she's like, what do you want to watch? I want to go back and watch WKRP in Cincinnati. Again, all four. Of course. (laughs) Of course. That's what I do. (laughs) Of course. And and people on Twitter are like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Watch The Wire. Don't watch WKRP in Cincinnati. And then a couple other people tweeted pictures of WKRP in Cincinnati and said, yeah, yeah, you got to do it. So I don't know. That's the way I'm leaning. I'm leaning to KRP, but we'll have to wait and see how this goes. But anyway, so I threw a movie at you this week uh, from Gen X from 1975, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Are you ready to get started talking about it? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's Uh, do it. Let's hit it. I was like, oh my God, that was incredible. Okay, so we got the millennials take on it. It's weird. We might get to scorched earth yet. But you often have the uh, textbook dancer. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does that make sense? Yep. You've been doing a lot of stuff from the 80s, a lot of comedies. Holiday Rap by MC Micro G and DJ Swen. So this wasn't a film that I grew up with. It's boring as I think I know that. Could you sing us a few bars? What the living hell am I watching? Okay, so like I mentioned, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest from 1975. Threw this one at you this week. Um... Do you want me to start things off? Do you want to start things off? How would you like to do this, Yancey? Balls in your Um. So normally, I, I told you this before, I kind of, I like to take notes. I like to mm-hmm. hand write mm-hmm. notes as I'm 
you know, watching movies and yep. stuff, uh, just because there's a lot of things I'll miss, and sometimes sure. I even watch the movie twice. Yep. So this is a this is like a weird occurrence for me where I was I was so kind of gripped by the movie where I only wrote like a couple lines and I had started off my normal process, and mm-hmm. then eventually, like two and a half hours later, almost I. I was just watching the movie, and I think that's a credit to this that it is so so interesting. Like, you know, they're they're not necessarily the main focal point of the scene, but all these characters, the casting is so strong, and there's just it's such an interesting movie. It's I mean, not to give it away right off the top, but I really really enjoyed this movie, and I'm I'm kind of wondering why you sat on this for so long, and why mm-hmm. this wasn't the first ones you nominated. To be honest with you, well, you know, spoiler alert, as always, every movie that we get into, we give all away all the endings. So if you haven't seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, go and watch it, and then come back and listen to this show. Um, So why did I sit on this one for so long? That's a really good question because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Now, the problem is I say that about everything, but I... (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) It's, you know, which I really do. I, I tend to exaggerate. But this movie is phenomenal. And, but the thing is too, is like, you gotta remember where I'm coming from. Like, I love comedies. I just, I've always loved comedy. And so when it come, when I think of Gen X movies, a lot of times I tend to go back to those kind of classic comedies, you know, like, you know, like Stripes and Airplane and all those kind of things. So I tend to throw a lot of those at you just because I just love them so much and I want to get your take on them. And I, and I love talking about how, you know, how you always say society's changed so much. You know, you give me that every week. By the way, <laughs> I just wanted to like mention, you mentioned that again the other week. We were, we were doing Animal House. Right. And you're like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, society's changed so much now. This movie doesn't make any sense because, you know, society only moves one way and that's forward and we progress and we're not like that anymore. You know what? I'm just going to call you out on that for a second. okay? just as a generational thing, because I'll tell you what society hasn't changed all that much. And I'll tell you why. okay? in 1978, if Jimmy Carter had said grab him by the he wouldn't have been elected president. So don't tell me that society has moved all that much forward, young man, because it really, really hasn't. Even That's a really it, strong point. That yeah. is a strong point. But, you know, it's funny. As soon as I said that, too, I had to, like, reflect on that. And it's actually really funny that you would bring this up because I literally – as soon as I said that line, I was like, well, that's kind of stupid because societies definitely take steps backward. You know what I mean? Like, uh, who was at Constantinople? I mean, literally burned, like, <laughs> every piece of literature in the entire world. It set back human civilization for 2,000 years. So societies do take steps back. They make decisions that are, are regressive. It, that stuff does happen. I guess I, I kind of meant, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, time only moves forward is – probably a better way of saying it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna backtrack on it like it was a stupid thing to say but um i i do definitely see your point like there are certain things that are going on nowadays that actually are weirdly acceptable again like it's come full circle whereas like you said in the 60s 70s 80s uh certain things actually were not okay so it it, it is interesting that you brought it up and i actually completely agree with you it was a stupid thing to say and i wish i could take it back oh i'm not i'm not calling you out don't worry it's not your it's not your generation <laughs> that caused all the problems for you it's probably my generation and baby boomers so don't worry about it um they're the ones that probably you know you know voted that way anyway neither that's not here it's not a political show so why did i keep this one so long i don't know again probably because i like to throw a lot of comedies at you but this movie mm-hmm. it holds a special place in my heart because when i was young i watched it for the first time i was quite young when i watched it and i was just spellbound um i was always interested in acting as a, as a young person and this was one of the movies that made me kind of do that i was like wow the power of acting is so incredible and i also read the novel at a very young age i was probably like 10 or 11 when i read this novel and and the novel and the movie are they're quite different too and we'll get into that tonight i'm sure but uh, i don't know why I held it back so long, but uh, you know, but I did, and but I always had it in my back pocket that I wanted you to watch this, and and so obviously you liked it. You thought it was a really really good movie. I did. I, I thought it was a fantastic movie. I have two really like simple questions for you about yes, this movie. Sure. I wanted to know as soon as I was watching this. Yeah. One, how old were you when you first saw it? Okay. 
I would say I was probably about 10 years old. Now, oh, wow. now, okay. now, keep in mind, I want you to keep in mind something. I watched it for the first time on television. So when it was on television, it was edited for TV. So a lot of any of the profanity was taken out, anything like that. Um, so there was none of that okay. stuff going out. So, so it was appropriate for me to watch sort of, you know what I mean? Um, but I was always very mature for my age too. Like when I was 10, I was probably a 10 going on 30. Like I really was. I was, <laughs> I was into politics when I was eight. Like I, I remember doing like like talking about politics. Now I'm Canadian too, but I was talking about like you know Ed Broadbent and the NDP party and stuff when I was eight. My parents are like, "What are you? You're crazy. You should be able playing sports. Like, what are you doing? You know?" Um, so right. I think I was very mature to watch it. So I was ten years old, but it was edited, like I say, on television. Okay, that's interesting. Honestly, I thought like this would strike me as one of those films where it came out and you know you were around for it, but like maybe you had kind of picked it up later in life, like I've done with a lot of films. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a kids movie, but like you said, if if your parents were like willing to let you see stuff like that and like mm-hmm. you were mature enough to like be receptive to it and not let it destroy you, I guess. And then my second question, Chris, yep. was how many times have you watched this movie? Because as soon oh, as I man. as soon as I watched this movie, I mm-hmm. literally said to myself, I'm like. I could watch this movie again, like right now. I could literally put this movie right back on and watch this again. It was so so interesting. So, how many times have you have you taken? I would say more than twenty. Wow. Okay. More than twenty. I watched it a lot. I remember even Mm -hmm. when I was in university, like I had it on. No, this is back in the day when I had it on VHS, and I would subject my roommates to watching it over and over again, just because I just loved Mm -hmm. it so much. There was just there's a lot of the messages in it that I really really like and stuff like that. One thing that I'll and we'll get into all that tonight. One of the things I did want to point out that I think is interesting. Maybe you need to know this. So in the novel. Okay, Ken Kesey wrote the novel, and it's like mm-hmm. this big counterculture kind of novel, you know, anti-authority, you know, novel from the 60s. And the one thing that makes it totally different from the movie is that right from the get-go, at the beginning of the novel, the, the novel is told from the point of view of Chief Bromden. The silent guy, yes. like the guy that doesn't talk at all? Yes. Okay. So in the movie, obviously, you don't find out until, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie that this guy can actually hear and speak and everything like that. So I w- I'm going to throw a question to you on that. Whereas in the novel, you knew right from the beginning because he's the one that's telling the story in his head. And he's, he's, re- he's relaying really this story about <laughs> about this McMurphy and how he comes and does all these things. But anyway, so for, for you, having never read the novel and just seeing the movie, was it a big reveal for you when that part came, when you realized, hey, this guy can talk and he can hear you? It was. It. Uh, I. I'm, there, there were so many different characters that were kind of like that, that were sort of like a wallflower. You know, they were there, but they weren't really integral to what was going on. They were just kind of characters thrown into the scene or so I thought. So I found myself like constantly getting distracted and trying to. Like, I knew something was going to happen with one of these characters. And, you know, uh, of course, your first assumption is going to be that Jack Nicholson's like something crazy is going to happen with him, obviously, because he's the main character. But I would keep gravitating towards like Danny DeVito's character or Christopher Lloyd's character or, you know, going back and forth trying to focus on these people. And then I realized at the very end of the movie, like, oh, yeah, I forgot about, you know, the chief, like this this one character out of all of those. And it did. It completely caught me by surprise as. And in and, and all honesty, like there were several moments where I thought I knew what was going on with this movie. I thought I knew exactly what was going on. Like, you know, one of the very first scenes whenever they uh, they bring in. Um, w- w- I'm sorry, Jack Nicholson's character. <laughs> I, uh, Rand- I Randall character. P. McMurphy. So McMurphy, sorry. Yeah, McMurphy. Whenever they bring him in for the first time and he's shackled up and everything. And obviously he looks crazy as hell. And, you know, I'm literally thinking, I'm like, this guy is going to lose it as soon as they get these cuffs off. He's remaining calm because he's given them just enough sense of security. And as soon as he gets out of this thing, it's it's going to go crazy. And it doesn't. You know, he's calm. And then all of a sudden he grabs him and he's like kisses the dude in the <laughs> yeah. face. And, you know, there's just so many like these like really like weird jarring moments where I expect it to go a certain way. And it doesn't. They just keep pulling the rug out from underneath me. Like I didn't expect, like we said, the chief, I did not expect 
expect him to be able to speak. And he's like, oh, Juicy Fruit, you know, like in perfect English. You know what I mean? Um, there's just so many twists and turns like that. And like even at the very end, I'm thinking, OK, so surely, you know, uh, he's going to break out and he's going to be like deuces, you know, and, and it's going to leave like this huge void with all these people. And they're going to have to reconcile like life without, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson's character who you just said. And I still forgot his name, but. Um, and it doesn't end up like that. He basically what he passes out drunk or is it a conscious decision that he stays there with them? And then I, I think know, it's just I think it's a conscious decision, because if you think about the way that this movie is edited, it's done very, very quick edits, very, very short, short shots and quick yep. edits all put together, except for that last scene. And you think about it. He has this party. Right. And they get the window open. They get the keys off the guy because the guy's drunk. So they go and get his keys. Right. And so they open yep. up the window and they can get out. But. You know, McMurphy, one of the things that's really important about his character is he shares everything. He shares everything. He shares, mm-hmm. you know, his his cards, his booze, his cigarettes, his girlfriend. He shares everything, right, with these people. And mm-hmm. so he lets Billy Bibbit be with his girlfriend, right? Because Billy Bibbit, you know, is a virgin and, you know, whatever. And so he lets this happen, right? And while this is happening, he's sitting there at the open window. And you realize he's kind of pondering things and he realizes he's done. He's not going to be able to get away. There's no way. Mm-hmm. And so that, but like my reason why I mentioned the editing is it's got all these short, short edits, short, short, quick edits. And then in that scene, it's one long shot. It goes on for, oh, probably goes on for, I don't know, like a couple of minutes where it's just a shot on him, him, mm-hmm. him just pondering everything. And you realize that he realizes he's not going to get away. Right. So he doesn't. So he just keeps drinking and keeps drinking and passes. Is out. it that? It- is it is it that he's maybe this is you know just me nitpicking where I shouldn't but is mm-hmm. it that he thinks that he's not going to get away or that he's almost like accepted this as like almost like he wants to yeah. be there that's what he, I mean yeah I think he accepts the fact that yeah that he's doing this and he's not going to get away and he's okay with that he comes to he, he comes to, to terms with that right it's okay See, that, yep this that's is really the way it's interesting be. like I I love like I've told you this I love open ended yeah you know like a, a non-resolution resolution or something that's just completely ambiguous and left up to interpretation. And you can see this going a lot of different ways. And I, that honestly, like I thought the ending was just so like beautiful because I, I did not expect that at all. Let's come back to the ending in a second. You mentioned characters. So let's touch base on a couple of them. So starting with Big yeah, Murphy, sure. obviously he is like this breath of fresh air that comes into the ward. Right. And like mm-hmm. he comes in, he, he's like, you know, he gives everyone nicknames. He's calling them Tabes and Billy the club, you know, and Chezzer and hard on and all this. And like I said, he shares everything with it. But he, the thing is, He's an anti-hero. If ever there was, he's not likable. I mean, hell, he's 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 in jail for statutory rape of like a sixteen-year-old girl. He's an incarcerated criminal. You know, yep. it's so he's not like a likable hero. But it, for him, it's all about like he has this love of life. You know, like he lives life to the fullest at all times, and regardless the thing, of the ramifications. Exactly, and and yep. one of the things that I love is how he comes into this situation, and he goes around and instills life into each of the other men, and mm-hmm. you know because they're all going through life not by living, they're just by existing, right? And he changes all that and instills life, and I think that, that that's a big powerful thing for me. Like, and the thing that is is you know like he thinks. If he gets sent to this institution, he's going to be out in the same time that he had left on his prison sentence. But not, oh, no. not so yeah. fast. She dictates when he's going to get out. And that's when he turns on the other guys. And he wants to know, like, well, why didn't you guys warn me? You know, you let me go on, you know, picking on her, you know. And then that's when he finds out that they're voluntary. They, they, yep, they, all of them. All, yeah. They're all volunteer except for a couple, you know, like the chronics and stuff. And he just cannot fathom 
how that they would they, they could be out like he's like Billy you should be out like you know you know you should be out you know with girls you know and driving around and, and having fun and well, not in here like I don't understand so his character for me is all about life and instilling life and living life to the fullest and that's what it is um what about I, I want to I want to yep. touch on something really quick sure, because you yeah. brought up a really interesting point so you, you mentioned uh, bring, him bringing that zeal, right? Everything yes. full out regardless. You know, he's the anti-hero. And I, I literally found myself saying like multiple times, I'm like, I want to hate this guy because, <laughs> I mean, technically he's a, a child rapist. Yep. But he's also super, super charismatic. And um, it, 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 the part that you mentioned where you said that he brings life into all of the, uh, I guess, patients. You could call them not inmates, but patients. Right. I think – and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it also has the same effect with um, th- with the nurse, Ratchet. I think it does the same thing with her because if you remember, there's this conference after he takes them all out on this like fishing excursion, which was the most random like aside that I've I've seen in a film. It was so random, but after that, they're they're having this discussion with all you know the dean of the of the ward and all these different you know psychologists and doctors. And it's actually her who says, you know what, I think he's dangerous, but I think that instead of us passing on the problem to somebody else, why don't we take care of it? I almost feel like that is like her acknowledging that she's also intrigued by him. Like he's also kind of stirred up some sort of fire in her where maybe it's not necessarily like um, she that, you know, she admires him or she wants him around. But she's almost like welcoming this new challenge that she does understand that, that he's different. So, like, you know, just like he brings life into all of these different people with, you know, perceived mental illnesses he does the same thing with her and like kind of like rejuvenates her in a sense. You know I mean, she just, she could have just as easily sent this guy away and she chose not to. What yeah, do you think about that? No, she wasn't going to do that for one reason, one reason only because she represents authority and he represents chaos and she's not going to have that. She's not going to put that on someone else. She's going to take that on herself because she wants to put down her foot and she wants to exert authority over him in any way possible. And obviously we see that, you know, she does, right? I mean, look at her. She has got like perfect hair. Her Like, like it's all tight back in a bun. It's shaped like the devil's horns too. I don't think that's by accident. You know, her hat's perfect. Her clothes are perfect. Everything. She's the epitome of authority. Absolute epitome of authority. And she was fantastic, by the way. Louise Fletcher in that role. So fantastic in that role. Man, she was yes, good. She was. Oh, yes, but, she was. but like I say, so she needs him as much as he needs her because they're the yin and yang to each other, right? So I think that's important. And for the drama of the story, obviously, they have to be at opposite ends of the spectrum. But like, what did you think of, of her her character and kind of the, the, the actress that played her and all of that? I thought that, like you said, she's she's super, super hard. I didn't even take notice of, uh, like you said, her hairstyle, like the tight kind of like bun thing. Like it, it does look like devil's horns, almost like Maleficent or something from Sleeping Beauty. Um, and like just how she is so put together. She's so stoic. She's always like every time she says something, she seems so, so, so calculated. And like even the first scene um, where like she walks in and, you know, she's walking into the place and it's almost like she has everybody trained. They're like, oh, yep. good morning, Miss Ratchet. Good morning. Like yep. everybody knows like you have a role. You know yep. what I mean? Like there is a proper way to do things and it's my way. And, like, I just love that, like, she's, you know, she's always steadfast. She's always kind of playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. And, like, uh, you know, like, my favorite instance is where, you know, uh, uh, McMurphy wants to watch the World Series, which I can relate to. I, I love the World Series. But um, he wants to watch the World Series. And she says, okay, if you want to, we will do majority rules. And so, of course, he's assuming, you know, we have all these guys around us in this in this little circle right here. He thinks that that means a majority is, oh, yeah, you know, just this little collection of people right here. And, of course, she knows that there's exactly 18 people in this ward, and exactly half of them are essentially mutes. They cannot communicate. They can't do anything like that, right? So she knows this and she's just playing games with him. You know what I mean? Like he thinks that he's going to win these guys over and get the vote and get what he wants. But, you know, like I said, she's so calculated and she's 
all, all she thinks about is how she's going to break this guy. And I just think it's like such a well thought out, developed character. And uh, I mean, honestly, like there was a part of me that was I, I, this makes me sound like a monster. But when he does jump on her at the end and starts choking her out, like a part of me felt like relief. I'm like, oh, my God. And this in the universe where this character, this woman exists in real life, like like I want her gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe that's just me rebelling against authority. But like I felt such like a wave of of gratification whenever that happened. What do you think about that? I think that's what they were trying to pull at, you know, yeah. with with the audience. And obviously it worked. Um, a couple other characters I want to touch base on, um, like Tabor which was Christopher Lloyd. It was his first film role, by the way. I, when I was at um, uh, Fan Expo in 2016, like obviously I had a chance to go to his Q&A and he mentioned this was his first movie. He went to New York, you know, and he was, you know, sort of got discovered and got a chance to go out and do this movie. So it was great. This, um, I think the scene when the, the cigarette, remember when it goes into his pant cuff? Oh, yes. And it burns okay. him and he freaks out. And then of course, they're all thinking he's having this mental fit and they carry him away, you know, I think he's an important character because don't forget too, it's also, it's his laugh that basically ends the film. Remember when he Mm -hmm. laughs, when he thinks McMurphy's escaped from the ward by throwing the fountain out when it was really the chief that did it, you know, but the fact that it wasn't even McMurphy that did that, it didn't really matter because to them, to those guys, they think McMurphy's escaped. And, and, and McMurphy escaping like a part of them won. Basically. Exactly. The it, good that, guy won. And the yep. fact, but the fact that he, you know, he, he only escaped by, you know, by dying was, you know, makes it bittersweet or whatever. But the other character that I, two other characters that I think are interesting in this movie, Billy Bibbitt, obviously, um, Brad Dourif, you know, you know, who went on to do, you know, again, a lot of these people got typecast, you know, like, like not all of them, you know, Christopher Lloyd and, you know, Jack Nicholson and Danny DeVito, maybe not DeVito, so much, but yep. uh, Louise Fletcher definitely did. Billy, B- Brad Dourif did, although Brad Dourif went on to do the voice of Chucky, you know, in those, those child's play movies. Yes. Yes, we That's did that. Chucky, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but <laughs> so random. like in that scene when Nurse Ratched finds Billy Bibbitt with the, with the woman and threatens to tell his mother. Right. And he freaks out and then he ends up slashing his wrists rather than face his mother. Like she knew that that would get him. Right. And she did it. And that's obviously that was the final straw for McMurphy when he tried to kill him, as you mentioned. Um, And Candy, I thought, was an interesting character, too, because and here's why, you know, because she's Nicholson's girlfriend. Right. And she kind of comes off as kind of ditzy and goofy. But I, I actually liked her. And, and, and here's why. Because she, she's willing to go along with whatever McMurphy's cooking up, right? Mm-hmm. I love the scene when, the, you mentioned it, when they go out on the fishing trip. I love when they go and pick her up and she gets on the bus. And remember, she's at the front and she turns and she looks at them all and she goes, are you guys all crazy? And they're all, they all nod. Yes. Yep. <laughs> but but she, you know what? She doesn't judge them for it or anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's not no, mean. Like, it's yeah. just like. It's like amusing to her. She's like, oh, wow, yeah. you guys are all crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, that, that fishing trip, I thought was so, it was so funny. Like you said, it's just random. But for me, I think it was an important part of the movie because to me, that scene has always meant, like it shows that it shows that they're just human beings. They're just a bunch of guys, you know, like, like when, remember when McMurphy introduces them all to the Harbor Master and he introduces them all as doctors? And they're all dead serious, like playing yeah. the role. And, oh and my and he's god! Like, doctor, that was one of my favorite doctor. scenes. <laughs> and then, and then he, my favorite was when he says, "Doctor Scanlon, the esteemed Doctor Scanlon," and, <laughs> and he just and, nods you know, in approval. Yeah, like. and for one second, this crazy ass guy with the long beard actually looks can, can like, keep it together. He yep. looks like he could be an esteemed doctor. He's got this long beard and everything. Now the harbor master probably doesn't buy it, you know, for a second, but the men do, and that's what really matters. So, you know, I don't know. Oh, so many things. I don't even know where, whatever. Like I mentioned, the editing, I think, was important. You know, the way that's done and, and the way they play up the, the last scene. There's a saying, you know, and you've heard it before. It's in a song called I Fought the Law and the Law Won. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the case here, unfortunately, because the law, like the administration of this place, they do everything they can to try and stop McMurphy and keep him in check. They use shock therapy. And when they finally can no longer control him, they give him a lobotomy. You know, but they will do everything they can to, to keep him in check. I think, you know, I mean, we've talked before about movies versus films. I definitely put this in the film category. Would you agree oh, with that? Oh, for sure. Chris, for sure. Yeah. And, one, and, the, and the reason for that is not just because it's good and good acting and all that, but because to me, it's a really great example of cinema verite, you know, which, you know, if, if, if you're not really familiar with film styles and things like that, it's basically like truthful cinema. Right. It's Mm -hmm. from the French. And Milos Forman was a big influence in that movement. And I think it's important because, again, having read the book in the book, the book was different. It was like there was a lot of hallucinations in the book, you know, which may or may not have been influenced, you know, by the author's drug use himself. I don't know. But there was like scenes where arms are coming out of walls and like people are changing shapes. It's really weird. Right. But the film instead, they portray it all as real with cinema verite. Right. Like they use a lot of non-actors. Will Sampson, the chief non-actor. Um, the doctor was a non-actor. Um, the um, And the thing was, they shot it in a real institution in Oregon, right? They used a lot of staff and patients, you know, in the movie, you know, and um, lots of natural light and real settings. There's no sound stages or like lit sets or anything like that. So it's, it's, it's a film, you know, of, of sort of the nth degree for me. I, I don't know. That. I don't know if you noticed in the credits, but uh, Michael Douglas was a producer of the film. Did you happen to spot that or no? I did, but to be honest with you, I glossed over because I did not think that it was the same Michael Douglas. It, so. is, it was. So, yeah. so basically what happened was Ken Kesey wrote the novel, as I mentioned, right? And then what they did was they, had, they adapted it into a play. And Kirk Douglas played McMurphy. And then he bought the rights to the material, right? And he, and he tried forever to get it made into a movie. And then when it kind of started to gain some steam, like, hey, they might be able to make this into a movie. It was, you know, it was in the early 70s. And he was too old to play the lead. So he gave the rights to his son, Michael, and said, hey, you know what? Produce this movie. And, you know, that kind of helped get things made. Another thing I should touch base on, we always talk about movies sort of being reflective of their times. And sometimes, you know, how popular a movie is has as much to do with just good timing, you know, just coming out at the right time. And I think that was the case here, because if you think about it, it comes out in 75, right? The 60s are over. Nixon ran on a law and order platform. Right. And, and then mm-hmm. you've got Kent State happened in 71 and then Watergate happened, you know, which obviously culminated in Nixon resigning. And so by the time this movie came out in 75, there was a massive distrust of authority going on in the country. Right. And that's the prevailing theme here. Right. It's all about rebelling against the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And the movie was obviously incredibly successful. It swept the Oscars, you know, one of only three movies in history to win all five of the major Oscars. God, you are destroying my trivia questions. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, it's just, I really, really love this movie a lot, you know? And it's funny, we mentioned Nurse Ratched, you know. Another thing is, like, they originally didn't want Louise Fletcher to play the part. Like, they were, they, there was names like Jane Fonda and Faye Dunaway attached to it and all this. And um, and it ended up obviously going to Louise Fletcher, and she was just she oh man she was so good, but it killed her career. She was so good, she was typecast after that, you know. But I don't know. There's just something about it when he comes in in the beginning and he just starts defying authority. Like if you remember the first scene, he's like riffling his cards at the mm-hmm. first session with, and she's like he does it twice, and then yes. she looks at him and, and she's like, annoyed, okay. right? And I like what you said about the World Series. He wants to watch the World Series. She's like, no, and she pulls that 
you know, that, as he called it, that that hen house crap on on them, you know, about she didn't count the one vote or the, the session was over, right? Yep. So what does he do? He goes and sits in front of the TV. The TV's not on, pretends the game's on and starts screaming and yelling at the TV like, yeah, 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 round in second, round of third. Yeah, he's going to score. And Which all is the, even more disruptive. I know. Honest. And all the men join in. They're like cheering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the greatest thing ever. Like, it's just, it's all about like sort of sticking it to the man. You know what I mean? And just thumbing things up at, uh, thumbing your nose at authority. And I don't know. I think um, th- there's, w- we've talked, one of my favorite words that I repeat all the time is duality. Yeah. So we talk about how like, um, you know, obviously it's about authority and, you know, rebelling against authority. And I think it's also about too, uh, like this duality between everybody in this in this movie is kind of, you know, they have two sides to them. At the very beginning of the film, it kind of shows like these people taking care of these patients. And, um, you know, a lot of them are actually super attentive and they're very nice and they're, they're, they're physically uh, affectionate and, you know, like actually taking care of these people. And it looks like a real you know, like a, like a warm place, like at the very, very beginning of of the, of the movie. Right. And then of course, as it, as it divulges, as it, as stuff starts to break down, obviously you see them, you know, punching them in the face and, you know, poking them with, with, you know, sticks in the pool and Mm -hmm. they start to get aggressive with them. I'm talking about the, the actual workers and stuff. Right. So they're actually physically aggressive with these people. So you see, it's like, no, they're not really taking care of them. Like they're, they're quote unquote, good people who are taking care of the mentally disabled, but they also have this dark side to them too. You know, uh, nurse ratchet obviously is like that. She, in, in her mind, she probably thinks she's overall doing a net good, but she's very, very, um, you know, there's, she's got issues. Obviously, she has issues, you know, what I mean, and then even with McMurphy's character where, like I said, you want to believe that he's this super charismatic guy. He 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 gives fire. It's like all these people who are basically living for nothing. They have no excitement or no, no zeal or zest in their life whatsoever. But like I said, also a child rapist who, you know, justifies his actions because, you know, what man wouldn't, you know, wouldn't see that, you know, 15 year old redheaded as he puts it in his face like what man wouldn't do that i mean and you know not to be derogatory but everybody has like two sides to them and like you you flip back and forth like i honestly at certain points i loved nurse ratchet like i thought like man i love strong female leads i love it like i think i've talked about this to you before all of my favorite actresses are like women who like Kate Beckinsale and like Underworld or something like women who kick ass basically. And I love that she kicks ass, but I also love that like there's a little bit of crazy in her. And it also like it brings to question. Um, I think one of the main like uh, lines to the movie is like, if I'm crazy, then what does that make you? Um, I think I read that somewhere talking about this. It's like one of the the like you know slogans that they use for promoting the, sh- the movie like I-, I love the fact that like every single person in this movie could probably be a little crazy depending on who's judging them you know what i mean like the nurse could definitely be crazy a lot of these keepers could be crazy and of course anybody that's in the mental world themselves could be crazy so there's just a lot that i just said there but i just like that everything has like multiple sides to it like you said like a yin and a yang and mcmurphy and ratchet like deserve each other they need each other they you know it's like with the dark knight that we talked about um you know with batman and the joker saying that you know i don't want to kill you you complete me you know with nurtrafted she's like i'm not gonna send him away i want him here and i want to control him yeah and i think you make a good point like because there's one scene in, in the movie when he says he goes he goes come on guys like what do you think you are crazy or something you're not you're no crazier than the average person walking around out on the street right yep. and no subjective yep. yeah i one of the biggest themes for this movie for me always has been uh freedom you know, if you think about when McMurphy first comes in, that opening scene, like you mentioned, when he comes into the institution and they take those handcuffs off of him, he jumps up and down, he kisses him, right? Because he's free. It's like he's free. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, you know, as sad as it is, but when the chief kills him, he sets him free. He sets him free from a life as a vegetable. He wouldn't want to live like that, right? Mm-hmm. So the chief frees him, right? It's it's like a triumph of the spirit over authority and repression, 
You know, I, I, I don't know. Like I say, freedom's a big thing. And like, the, even though the fact it takes place in an institution, you know, where authority sort of rules all and everything's kind of bland and bleak in there, you know, there's very little freedom at all inside those walls. But it, the, yep. the film celebrates life, you know, and that's, that's pretty incredible when you think about it. You know, like, it is like for me at the end of the movie, when the nurse is in the neck brace after he's choked her out. Right. And then, you know, he gets lobotomy and everything and she's in that neck brace. And then, you know, I think it's very symbolic because you, you got to realize it's not just her neck, but her control is broken as well. Right. Mm-hmm. The men believe McMur- McMurphy is some kind of hero, right. Who's escaped, you know, he beat her, you know, he got away, you know, and, you know, even though he didn't really escape sort of physically, Right. You know, but the chief makes sure that he escapes sort of in spirit. Right. Like I said, by setting him free. And, mm. you know, even that scene when the, when the chief is is snuffing the life out of him with that pillow. Like if you notice McMurphy's body puts up quite a fight. Like, you know, he does not want to let go of life, you know. Yep. And then the chief escapes and he runs away to Canada. Remember, he said he was going to go to Canada. And so, what, one last thing about the yeah. chief thing, though. So, let me ask you this because you've, you, like you said, you've watched it multiple times. Sure. And maybe I, I missed this, but uh, he has a conversation with the chief and he talks about his father, about how like his father would drink and drink and drink yep. until he was basically like withering away. Yes. And so, I, I think it, it, it indirectly kind of implies, well, even Jack Nicholson's character says, like, you know, did you kill your father or did you take your father's life or something? And then he kind of says, like, in a roundabout, like, I wouldn't say I killed him. Like, basically, like, he made the decision himself, almost like I. You know, I was the one who killed him, but like he made the decision. Was that no, no, kind no. of like the same thing? Or no, I like- think what, what the chief was saying in that moment when they were sitting there and they were talking at the end, right? Uh-huh. Like he said, you know, you know, he was really big, right? He was a big guy. He did whatever he wanted. And he, when he drank, he drank a lot, right? And he says that, you know, it was the, he didn't suck from the bottle. The bottle sucked from him. And he goes, he goes, I'm not saying they killed him. He, the important thing that the chief says is that they worked on him. Just the way they're working on you. Oh, okay. See, I got to honestly. I was assuming that he meant like, he, like he saw his father like at like his worst state, and like he basically like took his life. He killed his father, and that's why he admitted himself into the institution. And then I kind of thought that like, you know, the whole reason why the chief would not leave the institution was because like he was basically like afraid of himself. He was afraid that he would do something like that again. And whenever he actually does kill McMurphy at the end and then runs free, I was like really, really confused. But maybe I've just made something out of a plot line that actually isn't there. Yeah, I, I didn't take it that way. But like you just said, he, he escapes and he runs away. You know, the cool thing is, too, don't forget, like he runs away. He leaves the window open behind him. So theoretically, yeah. any of those other men, they could have escaped behind him. And they don't. But they don't because they think it's Mur- McMurphy escaping. So in a way, they're free, too, because McMurphy freed all of them to express themselves, right? He instilled mm-hmm. them all with life. Damn, man, this is a good movie. Oh, man, I can't believe talking about it. Like, It really is a good movie. It, it really, really is. is. You know, and the I mean, fact that, you know, all these themes and like conformity is kind of the opposite of freedom, you know? And, and, and I think it really stresses the importance of the individual, which I think is really, really important. It's a very 60s kind of film, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. oh, man, it's just so good. So anyway, so obviously you liked it a lot. Would you give it a rating out of 10 for me, please? I, I mean, honestly, Chris, this is one of the more perfect movies I think I've ever seen. Um, I don't know if I gushed about it enough just because we were kind of talking about like the minutia of the film. 
film. But I mean, from start to finish, like like I said, this was what two hours and thirteen minutes or two hours and seventeen minutes, something like that. Um, even as the credits started rolling, like I didn't I didn't want to like turn it off. It was really really weird how fast I went by, how completely into it and enthralled I was with the film. It's it's so smart, and I I want to keep going back because like. I, to be honest with you, I'd never seen uh, Jack Nicholson this young before. I've only seen him in like, you know, he hasn't made a movie. I looked at his credits since like 2010 or something like that. It's been several years since he's been in a movie. And, and like, I've always just seen him as like the old guy, the old, you know, kind of like crotchety, like he's set in his ways, like this surly guy. And like to see him young like that and see him like super, super charismatic and just like how he literally just like demands the attention of the camera. Um, it was really, really interesting. We've seen Danny DeVito. Uh, for a while i didn't realize that it was danny devito i had no idea so like wow i'm, I'm looking forward to even yeah i know I'm, I'm telling you like the films i've seen him in he was just older he was he was heavier he didn't have as much hair so like it was just wild seeing mm-hmm. that but um i mean this is as close to a perfect film as i, I can recall so like i'd i'd give it like a 9.8 9.7 it's yeah i would go honestly, i would go it's as pretty high. fantastic yeah, yeah i would probably say 9.7 as well like it's just so good because like i say thematically you know from from a film point of view like i say with cinema verite with the acting in it with everything else that's going on in it with the 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 storyline with the way it ends like it's just it's it's pretty much perfect i mean i really really like this movie a lot it just says a lot too one other quick thing i'm curious did you find that there were any religious overtones in the film or not when i read the book yeah when i read the book the book seemed to have a lot of religious overtones to it and i'm just wondering if any of those came through in the movie i mean Um, if you want to just be directly i mean there are obviously things like fishing and the the pool was kind of baptism but um i think both the author ken cassie and the director milos foreman which by the way ken cassie i should mention the author of the book has never seen the movie he was against this movie from the beginning because the thing was he wrote um, a screenplay for it, but he wanted it to be told from the point of view from the chief. Mm-hmm. And Milos Forman was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. It's got to come from McMurphy's. It's McMurphy's story. That's who this story is about. And so Ken Kessie walked away from the project has never watched the movie ever. But, wow. but I can say both him and the director were both, you know, very familiar with religion, you know, like, and, and I think it definitely works its way in. Like he, McMurphy comes across as very Christ-like in the book, you know? In the movie, I think there's still elements of it there. Like the fact that, you know, he kind of dies so the men can experience freedom and all that. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but the book was very, had a lot of religious overtones to it. You know, honestly, like I've I've kind of been trained like over the years just to kind of recognize religious allegory. And maybe it is because it's so, I don't know, it's so <laughs> much more buried than normal. But like, I wasn't picking up on it at all. I was more, whenever you, whenever you show me, uh, older movies chris i always immediately get these moments where i feel really dumb because i'll i'll it'll harken back to a newer piece of pop culture that i assumed was an original thing Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i assumed that something that i watched in the last 10 or 15 years was just its own thing and no that's a remake or you know somebody else derived that from that like i was watching this and i literally thought well like the first opening scene where um you know they're all like walking in line it's playing like this like cheerful like upbeat you know like kind of like a orchestral music it's like a really light kind of like fun soundtrack going on and they're all lining up and taking their pills and stuff Mm -hmm. and i see them you know they're all in line they're all moving like almost in unison i i immediately think like wow that looks like the wall music video from pink floyd you know which Mm -hmm. came out eight nine years later i don't know if it's the exact same thing but who knows might have been influenced 
where like this movie where um you know it's in this you know it's a bunch of crazy people basically and they break out and they go and they have like an adventure like that's basically like girl interrupted with angelina jolie my wife pointed that out to me or um like the ringer it was a it's it's a it was a low budget film with johnny knoxville a couple years ago where it's basically the same premise but it's actually a really funny endearing movie where like the the people who are mentally and physically handicapped are not actually the joke at all like it was like a really cool movie but it it took this same concept you know like a very very serious rated r drama from 1975 and kind of like reinvented it but like everything is derivative at this point and i i guess like that's more what i notice whenever i watch films that you show me chris is like everything is a remix of something else and that just like really stuck out to me yeah i mean you could go back and you know there's other films that this you know probably drew from um you mentioned nicholson too i think it's important to touch base because one of the things I, i hopefully will do when i make you watch some of these gen x movies is have you go back and go wow some of these guys were really good like if you only know nicholson from his later work you know where you said like he plays the crotchety guy or maybe you're familiar with have you seen a few good men i have not no jeez oh, oh, okay so i mean i know and that's even like really from kind of your you know generation more than mine but you know right, relax you, you, you see a movie like that you know where he, he's yelling you you can't handle the truth and all this and you realize man that's a that guy's a good actor yeah he is a good actor but if you go back and watch this you realize he's not just a good actor he's legendary he's mm-hmm. legendary I, and i couldn't imagine and i know a lot of movies you know you, you, you see this but i couldn't imagine anyone else playing the part than him I just couldn't imagine it. Like he was just yep. so, so iconic, you know, in that role. He was just so good. He brought everything to that role. He, he didn't, he put it all on the table in his performance. He laid everything out there. And I just thought he was just phenomenal. The energy, the, the zeal for life and just this, this desire to, to live life to its fullest. It's like, it's almost unparalleled in cinema. Like it was so, oh, did, so, so good. did you think that, did you think that he was actually kind of crazy or was no. that just like a, something no. that was like we were being toyed with? Like no. I, I thought the no, big reveal was going to be like, I think he's, so, so. He's pretending, but no. he actually is crazy. No, but no, that's no, not what no, happened no, 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 no. He's crafty. What happened was he's in prison and he realizes prison sucks. Prison is really, really, really hard. I don't like right. this. Hey, wait a minute. He has a work program and he's yeah. lazy. And- I have an idea. Maybe if I act like I'm crazy, they'll send me over here and this place is easy. You know, and he even mentions that at one point he's in the pool. He's like, this is nothing. He goes, he goes, big deal. They just, you know, they just send me back to the feed farm if I escape or whatever. Who cares? This is easy. And I'm going to be out here in 30 days or whatever, or 100 days or whatever the scene is. He's like, I got 100 days. The guy's like, what the hell are you talking about? He actually said 69 days. Oh, I remember 69? that okay. I said to myself, nice. Yeah, because he's like, 69 <laughs> days, I'm going to be out of here. He's like, guy's like, what are you talking about? He goes, that's when my, my sentence is up. I'm out of here. He's like, where do you think you are? Yeah, this isn't prison. It doesn't carry over. You're in the same amount of days you get to go. You leave when we say you leave. And then that's when he realizes, oh, man, I've been needling her the whole time and all this and no one told me. And they were all like, well, we just thought you were voluntary. Like, I don't know. It just. No, I think that he did that on purpose. He kind of faked it to get sent over to the to the the institution, thinking that it was going to be a hell of a lot easier. He's not going to be in shackles all day. He's not going to be getting beat up in the yard, you know, getting rolled for cigarettes and stuff like that. It's going to be right. easier and it's going to, he's going to be crafty and he's smarter than them all. Randall P. McMurphy, he's smarter than everybody. He's going to go over there and he realized it didn't work out that way because he never left. He never left, right? So that's, that was my take on it. So anyway. Um, okay, so time to uh, get to some trivia. Fun with Yancey. All right, so it's over to you. If you want, you can pepper me with some trivia and I'll do my best to answer it. 
Yeah, sure. So as always, like I really spent a lot of time on these trivia questions and uh, you killed maybe half of them, which is sorry, really, really frustrating because like, you know, I use IMDb a lot, obviously, just because it's such a fantastic resource. But like I was I was like going deep. I was, you know, finding articles and like really, really obscure stuff. And of course, it doesn't matter with you. So um, let me start with this. So you mentioned that, uh, you know, the um, insane asylum or whatever you want to call it, the mental mm-hmm. institute whatever yep. it was called uh it was in oregon which was correct uh, yep. can you name the two the, the two different cities in oregon where uh several of these films or several of the scenes were shot in this film oh i don't know it was in a small town it would have been portland but uh it would have been in a smaller town i'm sure but i don't know what it was yeah so uh it was depo bay in salem oregon oh, in and salem. Uh, by oh, chance okay, yes. yeah can you name the state and as a bonus the city that the boating scene was filmed in it was uh, not oregon Oh, see, I thought it was shot in Oregon. For some reason, I thought they were out there and they shot it there. They shot, I know they shot that last, but I'm, I I would have said Oregon for sure. I thought that they shot it in that little bay in Oregon. But. No, it was actually in Fort Bragg, California. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, was kind of interesting to me too, so. Very cool. Um, okay, so uh, we talked a lot about Louise Fletcher. She was fantastic and uh, she won an Academy Award for this uh, for her, you know, as a, Best actress. Oh yeah. Uh, she also played Miss Nellie in what 1950s TV series about an ex-Confederate soldier who turns into a degenerate gambler? Uh, I don't remember. I don't know. I, the 50s is before my time, and I just don't know it. It's actually I. By chance, I happened to see this whenever I was going through her IMDb page, mm-hmm. and uh, it's Yancey Derringer, my actual oh, name. Oh man, Yancey like Derringer, very cool. See, Yancey I remember. Derringer. I thought she was in like, I don't know. I thought she was in a couple other TV series, but I didn't know that one. Yep. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, so Jack Nicholson, he also won an Academy Award for this film as a Best Actor. Yes. So can you tell me how many times total he's been nominated for an Academy Award? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I'm going to say probably at least three times. So I'll say three or four. I'll say three. Nominated? Uh, yeah. No, no winner. Like one time, times he's won the award. Yeah. So that is correct. He has won three. Can you tell me how many times he has been nominated? Oh, how many times? Been, oh, probably more than 10. I would say, I don't know. So I'll say 11. Very close. It was actually 12. Oh, so close. Yeah, it was a lot Very of nice. Times. Yeah. My next question would have been how many did he win? But you, yeah, of yeah, course, yeah, you got he won that. Yeah, three times. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he, along with, an, with what other actor, has received an Oscar nomination in every decade from 1960 through the 2000s? It was one other actor who did this feat. Can you name the actor? Was it Michael Caine? It was Michael Caine. Yes. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, by the way, Michael Caine. I, 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 you know, Michael Caine is in everything. We always say that. Every, on show. He's so in everything. Wild. Yeah, it's, he's in everything. He's been in. He's been in probably three or four movies that you and I have done for reviews. Yep. Just oh, us. Yeah. I know. He's great. Um, what are the questions do I have? Okay, so the cast in this film obviously is amazing. It's incredible and like you said a lot of actors got their starts in this uh, some of them you know never really did anything else or they became typecast but for this particular movie like they they really nailed the casting oh yeah they're uh, great so jane feinberg that was the name of the casting director of this and she also has 149 other credits to her name as uh, casting director can you name at least three other films that she has been as a part a, of as a casting director I don't know. Yes. I'll, I'll say that she worked with uh, Nicholson again. So I will say um, uh, I'll go with Terms of Endearment and I'll say As Good As It Gets. And what's another one that he did? Uh, I'll go with let's go with Batman. 
Um, Batman, no. I think you got two of them correct. Uh, <laughs> totally random thinking that you would have worked with Nicholson again. So. Yeah, I, I can name off a couple of the really, really big ones. Uh, this was what really caught my eye. I know casting director is somewhat of like an esoteric question, but yeah, uh, yeah. She, she did all the casting for Aliens. She did Back oh, okay. to the Future, so there we get the Christopher Lloyd uh, connection. She did Blade Runner. She did Forbidden Sun. She did uh, multiple of the Indiana Jones movies, Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, I mean, it, it literally goes on and on. Finders Keepers, Memorial Day, A Christmas Story. Like I said, 150 credits to her name. I thought it was really, really interesting. So um, obviously this woman knows what she's doing. And uh, like you said, a lot of them, she kept reusing the same like core of actors, kind of like a you know, like a Tim Burton just keeps using like Edward Norton. Over, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Um, and that's why I kind of latched on to, to Nicholson for that question, thinking that she would yep. do that, you know? So uh, you you got this question right. Or you, you touched on it, but let me see if you can get the other part of it. So you did mention that it's one of three films that won all fade all five major yes. Oscars, right? Yep. So uh, best picture, best actor, actress, director, and screenplay. Yeah, that's tough so to do. What are the other two films that also hold this distinction? So it happened one night was the first one from the '30s, and then the next one was all the way into 1992, I guess it was, with Silence of the Lambs. Correct. You nailed that. And I honestly had never heard of It Happened One Night, which is, I know, really bad. Wow, Capra. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Um, let me think if I have any other questions that you have not already destroyed. Actually, I think that's it, Chris. You did a pretty good job, and it's obviously pretty apparent that um, you you know a lot about movies, but we we knew this already going into it. <laughs> yeah, and, and and this movie too. Like, I mean, it's 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 a very seminal film, obviously, with some mm-hmm. of these actors, you know, being first time on the screen, like Devito and Christopher Lloyd and things like that. And uh, but a lot of them, like other than those guys, a lot of the other uh, actors, they they just got typecast. Right. Like, yep. I mean, like, I mean, you know, like Chief Bromden, you know, OK, I mean, Will Sampson, how many roles is this guy going to get? You know, Cause he, he just looks so imposing. Right. You know, he's kind of mm-hmm. stuck. I think I remember him being in like Poltergeist 2 or something like that, if I remember correctly. But like Louise Fletcher was just so good. She just became so incredibly typecast. It was really hard for her to find work after that. And, you know, I guess I can kind of understand because like you couldn't imagine anyone else playing that part other than her. Uh, yep. No, it was just it was it was a really good movie. No two ways about it. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it because, like I say, you know, maybe next week or next time that I have to nominate a film, I'll go back to one of those comedies again. But you know, every once in a while, I'll pull a surprise on you. This or the Killing Fields or something that was very dramatic, but very very influential. And I'm glad that you know I'm able to show you some of these movies. And you do it with me too. You make me watch these millennial films that I have not otherwise seen. That at mm-hmm. least allows us to kind of educate each other about you know all the good stuff that goes on in our generations. But anyway, um, you know, we'll wrap things up there. Next week, we're going to come back with a top five list. Um, so we'll do that. So you don't have to nominate a film uh, for that. But I'm glad you, you like this one. That's for sure. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, but until uh, next week, I'll tell you what, we'll come back. What do you say we take a look at sequels next week? We've been wanting to do that for a while. Why don't we come back and talk about like our favorite sequels of all time? I would love nothing more. I think Let's that's a good one. I think we need to do that. So think about your your favorite top five favorite sequels of all time. Uh, we'll probably both agree on the top one. So we'll just get that one out of the way. But we'll do that at the top of next show. That's for yep. sure. But until then, this is Chris, Chris McBrien for Yance Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 